Soul Talk Podcast is your guide to all things wellness. On this podcast, you'll find many episodes with the scope and focus on health, wellness and life. Welcome to episode 23 of Soul Talk Podcast. This episode is recorded with Annalisa, the body-mind therapist, and it was really, really fun recording. It was also really super interesting. I personally got a lot more out of this episode than I thought. This episode is about PRT, pain reprocessing therapy, um, although we kind of take it to a lot of different areas as well, specifically neuroplastic pain and how the mind works with pain and how the body also can give us different types of pain even though there might not be something wrong so there may be people out there who feel a lot of pain and are sick of going back and forward to the doctor um, or maybe they're being misdiagnosed as well and um, this episode highlights some of the work that Annalisa does and some of the interest really um, from both of our perspectives so um, I hope you enjoy. So, welcome, Annalisa. Thank you, Carla. <laughs> Thanks for the tea. <laughs> Are you actually? <laughs> yeah, I'm recording. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> I'm not cutting that bit out. I like okay. that. Um, so we originally spoke about having a conversation, doing an episode on our, sorry, PRT, mm-hmm. which is pain reprocessing therapy, which I know nothing about. Yeah, don't worry. Nothing. It's, yeah, it's pretty new to most people at yeah. the moment. Yeah. Okay, and instead of going down a rabbit hole with it, I thought it would be nice to <clears throat> do this in probably a more natural way and just have a conversation about it and see where we go. Yeah. Um. So, good luck to both of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be okay. It's going to be good. Just ask me whatever you're curious about. <laughs> so, I'm curious, tell me first of all about PRT and what it stands for what it means and your experience of the work absolutely so pain reprocessing therapy or prt is a set of psychological techniques which help people getting rid of chronic pain Mm -hmm. so there are various things within the process one of the main things is somatic tracking which i can give you an example later, mm-hmm. if you wish, I can take you through a little bit of somatic tracking. Yeah. This is not uh, obviously the only thing, it's the main thing. It's based on mindfulness, but again, not only, it's based on uh, helping people really, really accept or acknowledge that their chronic pain is not structural and in order to do that of course you as a therapist have to know what 
chronic pain is and what neuroplastic pain is. And here I'm, I know I'm introducing a lot of new terms <laughs> and <clears throat> helping people really, you know, um, decide whether they fit into the neuroplastic pain category which can also be done through referring people to actual clinicians that can diagnose neuroplastic pain. These are doctors that are trained in neuroplastic, in, uh, sorry, uh, pain reprocessing therapy, and they will diagnose neuroplastic pain. Through, I'm, I'm imagining x-rays and MRIs, because they would actually have to look into the body. Yeah, usually the typical client that comes to me, they will have gone through MRIs, x-rays, and all the medical checks, and they all are clear. So their doctors usually are like, well, there is nothing here. I don't know why you are not in pain. You are still in pain. And they can't solve it. There mm -hmm. is uh, nothing they can do. So the typical person that will come to me, they will say, I had an MRI, I had x-rays, I had this, I had that. It's all clear. That tells me this is neuroplastic. Hmm. You do actually hear that a lot. Yeah. You do. Mm -hmm. And um, doctors get a lot of grief about that. Medical doctors would actually, <laughs> it's like, oh, being to the doctor yeah. five times and nothing's wrong. Well, why am I so sore? And now hearing this, it's like, well, that could be why, because yeah. you could have neuroplastic pain. Absolutely, yeah. So actually, I'm hoping to, um, you know, make uh, doctors, GPs, actually more aware of this as a uh, Probably you know, I used to work in uh, Queens for mm. PhD, so I'm still pretty much in contact with, uh, you know, GPs and hopefully <clears throat> we will manage to make uh, general practitioners in Northern Ireland more aware of the concept of neuroplastic pain. Because once you go down the route of painkillers, then it's really, really hard for people to come out of that. Yeah. While if, you know, you start in another route, then maybe. You know. mm. So neuroplastic pain isn't recognized by medical doctors? Okay, this is a hard question. <laughs> the doctors I spoke with, some of them were aware of it and some of them weren't. Okay? Yeah. Um, but basically it's not those, part of their teachings it's not part no, of, no 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 yeah. it's not part of uh, is it considered like training? a new age kind of thing no 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 absolutely not uh, if uh, you go into the pain reprocessing therapy website you will see that it, there is research around this there is an actual lancet article at least one and uh, there are studies there is the boulder back pain study in which the authors checked um, what would happen treating people with chronic back pain with pain reprocessing therapy and the results were absolutely amazing much better than treating with drugs okay. so it's actually permanent and uh, so it's absolutely it's based on research and uh, it's just not 
yet a very well-known mm. um, way of working. Yeah. I also don't know how the NHS would be able to introduce these because mm-hmm. obviously GPs have an average of seven minutes with each patient. Just so yeah, yeah. I really don't know how they could deliver this. Mm. Okay. And so talk to me a wee bit about neuroplastic pain. What <laughs> does it mean? Okay, what is the neuroplastic pain? Neuroplastic pain is uh, that pain that happens when there is, there is no structural damage in the body. So there is nothing in the body, MRIs, X-rays, everything came clean, there is still pain. So what happens? The brain misinterprets signals that come from the body. It interprets these signals, which might be either neutral or even positive signals, as pain. And so we can say that this is the brain making a mistake. Okay. But how? Like, how would the brain make that mistake? Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was waiting for that question. (laughs) So what happens? Um, Carla, you will know for sure about, you know, uh, the various states of uh, the nervous system, Mm. okay? The ladder sort of system that goes from rest and digest to fight or flight and even freeze. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when the brain, when our brain feels uh, like... uh, in danger and I associate these to the fight or flight. Yeah. When we send messages Which is the of danger sympathetic nervous system? Yes. Yeah. Okay. When we send when messages of danger are sent to the brain, the brain feels like it's in danger. Okay. When the brain feels like we are in danger, it will interpret everything under a lens of danger and that's where the mistake happens Mm. it will interpret misinterpret safe signals from the body as they were pain why because pain is a sensation that will take us away from danger Mm. no Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you put a hand on a hot stove, pain will signal that that is dangerous, that is creating damage. So you put the hand away of, of the stove. Yeah. So pain has that function for us. The function is to keep us safe. So obviously, if the brain thinks that we are in danger, then it will misinterpret what's happening in the body as pain okay does it make sense it does make sense it it makes me connect with the ways he's work and other work of like you know the the mind-body connection which you know obviously yeah is <clears throat> your thing it's your instagram name and everything um and it makes me think of that in a slightly different way because Louise Hay would teach it with regards to when there's actual disease in the body. Mm-hmm. So it would be, you know, if 
there's a stomach ulcer or if there's ovarian cancer or if mm-hmm. you know there's um whatever like actually going on in the body an actual disease yeah. would be linked with well it could be associated with stress in your life in different areas so for example um and we talked about this earlier and um, before we were recording we were talking about back pain so mm-hmm. louise hay would associate back pain with feeling unsupported in life and you know with financial difficulties lack of support upper back pain being sort of like having the weight of the world on your shoulders neck pain representing like there's a pain in your neck like in your life so like all of that stuff is where I would um so I suppose it's it must be really difficult for people who don't actually have, say, a disease as such mm-hmm. to say, well, why am I getting this pain? So mm-hmm. my my understanding of that would be that, well, if you're having that back pain, then maybe you're not feeling supported or you don't have a good support network around yeah. you. The way I feel like I can, you know, reinterpret that. And again, I told you I'm not extremely familiar with Louise Hay. But what she says, it makes a sense mm. to me. If, uh, you know, upper back pain, feeling the weight of the world, say that you feel really, you know, a pressure towards someone. Hmm? This sense of pressure will externalize psychologically through certain types of thoughts, Okay. Pressure, pressure thoughts. Oh my God, I have to do this. I have to go that. I have to make sure I am good for these people. I do whatever I can. That's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. We're entering as well fight or flight. But these are the types of thoughts that will signal messages of danger to our primitive brain. Mm-hmm. So the primitive brain feels like it's, dang- it's in danger and it will in- misinterpret messages uh, neutral messages from the upper back as yeah. a pain. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, that is how we could reinterpret what Louise Hay says mm. in terms of pain reprocessing therapy. So before the person, if if the person bypasses this, um, pain reprocessing therapy, I had to look at my notes there, um. Is that when it will eventually manifest in the disease in the body? Or maybe not necessarily? Okay, no, this I don't know. Okay. Uh, this is probably a question that uh, Gabor Mate would be able to <laughs> yeah. answer. Um, <laughs> what I think is that everything is definitely connected. And... Uh, we can live with pain for years and years and years mm. with a chronic pain we can still get rid of that chronic pain yeah but probably what you were asking is will uh, diseases uh, um, develop from uh, not listening to your body yeah. maybe Because not that they're going to manifest from the actual pain, Mm -hmm. but that they're going to manifest from if that pain's there, it's because you have an emotion or you feel a threat. Yeah. So if you're not changing that emotion or that threat, 
then I understand you know? what you mean. Yeah. So what's the difference between chronic pain and acute pain? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there is a difference obviously between acute pain and chronic pain. Acute pain, we say it's driven by nociception. Nociception is a perception of an impending or actual tissue damage. So to say this with an example, you put your hand on the hot stove, nociception tells you, oh, I'm burning, you better remove the hand from the hot stove. That's nociception, okay? So it's the signals coming from uh, the receptors in your skin up to the brain very, very quickly, send the message and you stop doing what you're doing, whatever that is, okay? These in uh, acute pain psychological factors play a role, of course, for example, thought patterns, personality traits, and emotions, okay? And if you're interested, I can tell you more about this later. But acute pain happens quickly and goes away or diminishes considerably quite fast when there is no cause, of course, okay? Obviously, if you were working and you... um, uh, put your foot on a nail, nail mm. yeah, you know, that acute pain is not going to go away because mm. the nail is there. Actually, there is a very interesting uh, thing I can tell you about later about this <laughs> study again. Okay. Chronic pain is driven by neuroplasticity. Okay, so neuroplastic pain. What does it mean? Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change its structure in response of experience. And in chronic pain, we're talking about those neural pathways. Okay, there is a lot of talk nowadays about those neural pathways. Uh, Psychological factors here play a predominant role. So it's super, super, super important what your thought patterns are, the personality traits and the emotions that you are experiencing in that moment. Chronic pain lasts longer than six months and it will continue when the injury or the illness has been treated. So that's a key point. So if you had an accident, and you broke a rib and after six months or anyway the um, the usual and the normal time of recovery when that goes on then we start talking about chronic pain Mm. so why my ribs are healed i still feel pain that's Mm -hmm. neuroplastic pain most mm, probably and do you ever experience or is has, has there been any sort of experience in hitbacks from people, pushback from people, because maybe basically they are fed up with the medical industry or whoever not believing that there's actually something wrong with them? Because it's almost like, it's almost like they could interpret that as, that pain's all in your head. Is that how they feel? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Sometimes when we talk about the neuroplastic pain, they might think, oh, it's in my head. Yeah. But no, absolutely. It's not what we're talking about. And uh, here, so people that come to me, usually they are 
surprised or they are really frustrated by the fact that although there is nothing in their body that is structural, they are still in pain. Or there are other people that will come to me because they are in pain, their MRI shows maybe a change or structural you know, problem in their spine but maybe due with age. And there is a research that shows that these type of structural abnormalities, they don't cause pain. Mm. Because there are so many people in the world which have, who have these type of structural abnormalities and they don't experience pain. So I have two types of people, okay? The thing is, the way we talk about pain, I would explain this to them but if it wouldn't happen but if people ask the question is this all in my head is a pain all in my head no it's not only in your head all pain is real and all pain starts from with has the same um it's processed in the same way we have sensory receptors in the body nerve fibers that go to the brain and through the spinal cord and finally the brain. The thing that happens is this misinterpretation of signals. So there are signals in the body. So for example, if you now had neck pain and I knew that there was nothing because you went to the doctors, you had all the tests and you told me I have always this neck pain. I would be able to tell you, you know, if you turn your neck like I'm turning it now, what your brain is experiencing is picking up those muscles that are working to make your neck turn. The only difference is that the brain is misinterpreting the signal. So pain is not something that you are inventing, but it's a misinterpretation of your brain due to your brain feeling in danger, being in danger mode, mm. most probably. It's really interesting that you chose the neck as an example, mm -hmm. because I always get neck pain mm -hmm. when, well, I thought I just got neck pain and there was something wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but actually, I then started to notice that I was getting neck pain when I was feeling like stressed or having too much on, mm -hmm. or I noticed it because I went to a yoga class the other night that my body just probably wasn't feeling like that day, mm -hmm. and it really pushed me beyond what I actually wanted to do, and two days later I had neck pain oh. <laughs> yeah okay. and like you know obviously you can say well that's a physical thing but I didn't actually pull anything I was mm -hmm. I would just I had pushed myself too far yeah. and um I notice that when I'm yeah when if I'm rushing about or have too much things to do or I'm feeling overwhelmed just in general it's always that neck pain in the same place so I don't know do you do you know Reef McCutcheon in Hollywood no. Well, <laughs> he is like 
in his 70s. Mm-hmm. He is uh, like a wizard. He basically um, is an osteopath, but he's also Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Like he does everything. So he, when I went to him a few months ago, when it was really sore, he had basically assessed me and had said that what happens is in a in a time of stress and that my body stored this memory of, of feeling under threat or whatever, and mm-hmm. um, my trapezius just tightens. Yeah. And then I can't move my neck. And it is unbelievable pain. Yeah. So it's really interesting. That's basically he told you the same thing in different words. Yeah. Yeah. Neuroplastic pain happens usually from an initial injury which is not your case you never had an mm-hmm. injury in your neck did you no no okay never but usually there is an initial injury so say a person that falls okay mm. but the body heals and the pain persists mm. Mm? it happens because of a perceived injury which is what happened to you Mm. It can happen which, uh, with uh, is in situations of after a long flight or after a yoga class, mm-hmm. a particular movement at the gym or an aggressive massage even. Mm. You know why I say that is neuroplastic pain? Because if that was uh, acute pain, you would have started feeling the pain during the yoga class, not a couple of days after. Mm. right Uh, neuroplastic pain happens during stressful situations before during or after actually stressful situations can be good or bad good stressful situation you are getting married in a couple of months that's stressful it's good Mm. but it's stressful Mm. chronic pain can happen in those situations or they can have a gradual onset so anything that doesn't fall into whatever actually said Chronic pain just happens, okay? And there uh, we have to find out why it might have happened and that happens through talking. So again, what I want to say is that the pain is a neutral, usually chronic pain is a neutral sensation coming from the body in a situation of perceived danger. Mm. And here there is an element of fear. Because usually, when people come to me, and all chronic pain sufferers, they have thoughts such as, am I ever going to get rid of this pain? Mm. That is an extremely fearful thought. If you're thinking that, there is a fear there. Mm. And that's what we call the cycle fear-pain. We feel pain. We fear the pain, our brain perceives messages of danger, and the brain continues to misinterpret signals of danger from the body. So even more pain, and then perhaps more fear. So this is a cycle, fear, pain, which is the chronic pain cycle. Which and that's is... why I mean, yeah. Yeah. And how stressful that must be. That is very, very stressful. And the key is to exit that cycle so first we have to work with the fear of the pain by acknowledging that there is nothing structurally wrong in the body Mm. plus other techniques of course what are the other techniques 
so how how can how can people exit mm-hmm. that cycle i would say first of all uh through psychoeducation psychoeducation so uh as uh, a therapist a pain processing uh, um, therapy practitioner the first thing I do with uh, any person that comes with chronic pain is of course making sure that they went to the doctors mm-hmm. uh, to check if uh, everything is structurally okay and when everything is definitely structurally okay mm-hmm. then I can talk to them about all the evidence in the literature in research that there is that says that chronic pain in that case is uh, you know neuroplastic what it means that it is neuroplastic so when a person becomes really really convinced and acknowledges the fact that the body is healthy my body is healthy when you know your body is healthy you can start you know stop you can start stop <laughs> being afraid of the pain mm. then you can add techniques such as mm, mindfulness somatic tracking which is a type of mindfulness which is uh, um, you know um, addressed towards the body and the actual sensations mm. we usually don't talk about pain we talk about sensations in Mm. the body yeah and uh, we will talk about what type of thoughts perhaps have caused the brain or usually cause the brain to feel in danger such as for example self-criticism self-pressure these Mm. are big things Mm-hmm. who is not self-critical nowadays, mm-hmm. who is not under pressure nowadays. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is a big thing. Yeah. And so the somatic awareness would be a big <clears throat> one then in the sense of... Yeah. I think we briefly talked about this before. Um, like, shouldn't all... When, when we look at yoga, for example, shouldn't mm-hmm. all yoga be somatic? But, like, yeah. the reality of it is no, because, like, a lot of yoga can be faster-paced and... You know, it's 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 the sort of deeper embodied practices that are a lot more somatic in the sense where we actually feel the posture, breathe in the posture, yeah. explore the posture, mm-hmm. and then, as you say, notice the sensations in the body. Absolutely. So I've done my yin training mm-hmm. um, this year. Uh, you, I know you you teach in as well, don't you, mm-hmm. yin? Yin uh, style, but yeah. I, I haven't. Uh, I'm not yin trained. Yeah, so that's what it's very much about. It's somatic awareness in, yeah. in the body. So, mm-hmm. like, it automatically when you say that, it makes me think of that. Yeah. And now, when I'm in a faster paced yoga practice, it's not that I don't enjoy it. It's just that I'm like, oh, I just wanted to like stay there a wee bit longer, or like you know, and actually feel explore feel the sensation. Yeah. yeah. And it's not so hard to explain to people when you're when you're saying to people like a good way for you to understand yourself is to physically feel your body. It took me ages to understand yeah. that. Yeah. Like I'm still understanding it. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a big thing. It's really, really hard. And uh, you never give for granted that a person is actually 
use to feel what's happening in their body. Mm. So that might be something that uh, I need to work on with uh, some clients. Mm. So it's not just, oh, let's do somatic tracking. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, can I ask about, what about people who, so obviously you're working, the bulk of people or all of the people maybe, mm-hmm. you're working with them on a, um, neuroplastic basis that their pain is neuroplastic mm-hmm. what about people who actually have chronic pain who are actually have been diagnosed with something yeah. can you work with them okay so this brings to mind a one that i always asked about and it's fibromyalgia yeah okay? i was thinking That's a big diagnosis. Yeah. yeah so um, or or even I've been asked about um, rheumatoid arthritis. Yes, yeah. Okay, so rheumatoid arthritis obviously has an infectious, comp- inf- uh, an inf- an in- not infectious, sorry, inflammation, mm. not infection, inflammation component, okay? So the thing is, with both fibromyalgia, and, which are very, very different things, eh? but I, I'm making a general discourse here and mm-hmm. I'm not confusing the two, but there will be a component of fear towards the pain. Mm-hmm. And when we feel fear towards the pain, the pain will become more acute. Okay. So in both cases and in other cases as well, pain reprocessing therapy can help with symptom management. Okay. okay. So it really depends what we are talking about. Obviously, pain reprocessing therapy won't um, a condition such as uh, um, uh, rheumatoid arthritis disappear, but it will help managing symptoms, making the symptoms more less severe. Mm. With fibromyalgia, here is something that I wish I had the time to study more. Fibromyalgia is a set of, uh, um, say, symptoms related with pain, which get diagnosed as a fibromyalgia because there is no apparent cause, source. Mm. So to me, it sounds like, and please, if you're listening, feel free to get in touch to me if you have a different opinion. But to me, it sounds like we are talking about a neuroplastic pain. Mm. In fact, I remember reading research about fibromyalgia, and usually fibromyalgia sufferers are people that had uh, particular experiences in their um, early family life. Yeah, or they grew up in a stressful environment. So these are things that really affect our nervous system. How our nervous system develops is really, really important in terms of how then our brain will experience pain. Mm. That's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a touchy subject, isn't it? It is. Because, like, people... It just kind of keeps making me think that some people just won't won't see past. Mm-hmm. Is this in my head? I know. You know? Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, that's an interesting one. And what about, um, can you talk to me a wee bit more about, I think this might be possibly my last question. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me a wee bit more about the steps associated with PRT? So um, how it's used to manage people's pain or help them to process the pain? Okay. So it is steps, isn't it? You said steps, didn't you? Oh, I don't see them as a step. Okay. It's a process. Okay. okay, But not necessarily one has to come after the Mm. other. Mm -hmm. The main things that I will do are psychoeducation, which is educating people on why pain chronic pain happens, which is what I have been doing more or less in this podcast, Yeah, uh, which obviously will add more of actual research studies. There is so much research that prove that pain is a subjective experience, okay, actually. Yeah, I wish uh, we had more time because there are some that are quite uh, um, quite interesting as well. Yeah, feel free to talk about whatever. But yeah, for example, I will say, because earlier I mentioned the nail in the, in the mm. foot, okay? So there is here, this is um, an anecdote, anecdote, <laughs> how do you say, anecdote, anecdote? Addict? No, anecdote. Oh, antidote. Antidote. Thank yeah. you. Yes. <laughs> uh, so basically, there was this man uh, at work that stepped with his boot on a work um, on a big nail, yeah. and he was in so much pain, so much pain he couldn't anymore. He was brought into A and E, and he was in so much pain that before to touch him, they had to give him a lot of painkillers. Uh, so when the doctors uh, removed the boot, they actually realized that the nail went through his toes, not through his foot. So what does that demonstrate? That the idea that that nail was there, that was enough to make this person feel all the pain. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and there are more studies. There is a study about headache. This is recent in which participants were asked to wear some electrodes in their head and they were told these electrodes will make you feel a headache in a while. Now, 66% of the participants felt a headache, but the electrodes did nothing. So this is the expectation of pain. Just the expectation alone can cause a pain. Mm. Another study in which participants were um, connected with a device that would give hot pul- pulses in their forearms, if I uh, remember correctly. And at the same time, they were asked to look at either scary or neutral pictures. Scary pictures might have been, you know, a woman or a man with a black eye or a person crying, you know, so Mm. emotionally sort of disturbing pictures. Mm. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they were given these pulses, hot pulses, always the same temperature. So what was found is that when they were looking at the scary or... um, 
you know, not nice pictures, they experienced the pain. Mm. They experienced the pain even when they were looking at the scary pictures and the uh, device was off, so they weren't uh, receiving any hot pulses. So emotions are connected with how we experience the pain. So there is so much evidence, but the evidence that we look for is definitely to you know, make sure that there is actually nothing structurally wrong in the body. But even if there is a slipped disc or some degeneration, there are several studies in the literature that demonstrate that people that have degeneration of the spine, uh, so structural damages, they are not in pain. Mm. So... Mm-hmm. Not and necessarily these uh, uh, damages cause a pain mm-hmm. at all. And when we, when we like this could be a whole different thing, but like mm-hmm. just to kind of acknowledge, acknowledge it, like when we do the mind-body work, we can actually heal disease without... So, for example, there's been cases where, you know, people have had ulcers uh, mm-hmm. or, sorry, um, uh, tumours mm-hmm. and have gone back to the doctor after maybe making changes in their life and the mm-hmm. tumours have been gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how that relates to a slip disc. You know, will your disc just go back to normal? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of makes you think of those things in the sense of, um kind of like doing the work can help to bring the body back to its natural state yeah with pain reprocessing therapy definitely the work mm. you're doing is to bring balance back into the body so mm. the less fear the more you exit from fight or flight mm. fear response the more you go into rest and digest the more you learn to experience or to read, observe the sensations in your body and reappraise them as safe sensations. That's what pain reprocessing therapy does. Mm. So based on science, on various uh, levels, it will help people then reappraise these sensations or the brain of these mm. of you <laughs> replace these sensations as neutral sensations rather than painful sensations. Mm-hmm. So is all PRT work private? You mm. wouldn't you wouldn't have a Ah uh, NHS, you mean you wouldn't have someone working in the hospital doing <laughs> this, it's all private. Not that I know of. There will be doctors, and I know there is a doctor in Belfast who is a trained in reprocessing therapy. Hmm. Uh, I am not sure how and if she brings it into the NHS. I haven't talked to her. Okay, okay. It might be worth looking. Yeah, because it's, mm-hmm. it's sad for people who... Mm-hmm. you know maybe can't afford to go mm-hmm. to pay for prt yeah you know like actually um, you're giving me an idea idea could oh. create group groups yeah mm-hmm. yeah 
I have faith that you will bring this to life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's interesting as well what you said about the expectation of having pain can cause pain because it's like even in everyday life, you know when you're like constantly worrying about Mm -hmm. something that there's your cat. (laughs) (laughs) She will will probably leave because she gets uh, really scared about people. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, having the expectation of worry, like, worrying about something happening, worry, 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 like, fear can also bring on the pain. Absolutely. As well as, like, other, um, I'm just looking at some of the notes here, as well as some of the other patterns that might activate, like, danger signals. So, like, Mm -hmm. do you want to talk a wee bit about that? Yeah, I mentioned those uh, earlier, but the main, the big three will be self-criticism, mm-hmm. pressure, self-pressure, and worry. Mm. So uh, all the thoughts related to self-criticism, which mm. we are unfortunately all familiar with, pressure, self-pressure, uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough, yeah, which, uh, yeah, brings... Perfectionism. Perfectionism, being worried all the time about things. These are really, really strong, uh, yeah, (laughs) precursors of chronic pain will reinforce messages of danger to Mm. our brain as well. So thoughts like, I mustn't make a mistake, I'm going to fail, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, and I'm sure you will find more. Mm. Okay. Well, I think that kind of summarizes everything up nicely in the Mm -hmm. sense of what I wanted to get from this episode and ask Mm -hmm. you. Um, And I think it's nice that you know, you touched on that even people who do actually have diagnosis, you can also work with them and help them as well to manage their symptoms and yeah, pain. to manage the pain. Which is nice. Exactly. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, it just, it's nice for people to know that they don't have to live uncomfortably. Like, there's things that they can do. Yeah, absolutely. And did you want to finish off by doing your little somatic cycle thing? Would you like to do a little (laughs) bit of somatic tracking? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So So. this could be, if you want to guide me as if you're, so that people can actually do this right now. So um, whoever's whoever's listening and wants to take part in this, um, you can use, like pause this shortly when we're finished, when I'm finished talking. And then Annalisa will take you through this actual little um this actual little yeah. session. Absolutely. For what, a couple of minutes just? A couple of minutes. And yeah. this is not somatic tracking a hundred percent, it's a little bit of mindfulness going towards the somatic tracking that we will do. But yeah, it will give you an idea of what it is. Uh, I'd like to say, if you're driving, please don't do this, okay? (laughs) Make sure you are at home and you can uh, sit down comfortably, maybe lie down and, uh, yeah, and just make sure that uh, you are 
uh, you're, you are, this is not distracting you from doing something that might be dangerous, okay? So, I just like you to make yourself uh, comfortable. So this is more uh, leaning towards uh, sensations in the body more than somatic tracking itself. Mm, I might lie down. Yeah, do feel free to lie down. Because I'm wearing jeans and I'm just... Yeah, I hate wearing jeans. <laughs> and you can allow your eyes to close if that's helpful. And I just want you to take a moment to practice bringing your attention inward. Just simply familiarizing yourself with your internal state, whatever that means for you. And I want to invite you to bring your hands on your chest. And you, when uh, you're feeling anxious or stressed, you know that sensation of the breath being a little bit, uh, or a lot, <laughs> faster, and the heartbeat being faster. So what we are going to do now is to concentrate on the exhale. Just find your exhale and just by doing that we are slowly starting to calm down the body. I want you to find a place in your body where that exhale feels enjoyable. This could be your nostrils, your throat, your neck, your chest, or your shoulders, or your belly, whatever that is. Just find where the exhale feels nice. I want you to just allow yourself to enjoy this nice sensation of your out-breath. Just that lovely exhale. And you are not trying to do anything or change anything. You are just watching, enjoying the exhale. Just with a sense of effortlessness and ease. Just enjoying the exhale, wherever it feels nice in your body. Just leaning into this sensation in this nice and easy way. And what you're doing now is you're communicating messages of safety to your brain in the best way that you can.
So notice how this sensation of your out breath feels. Whether you are able to access a pleasant sensation Knowing that doing this, in this moment, you are absolutely, completely safe. It's safe to explore this sensation. If the nice sensation moves, you can follow it. And all you're doing is enjoying the physical sensation of your breath while giving your brain the practice to pay attention through a lens of safety. So now just see if you can enjoy the moment for a little longer. Enjoy focusing on the breath knowing that the very act of attending to this nice, easy sensation is the best thing you can do for your brain. When you feel ready, you can just open your eyes, have a wee stretch, perhaps. Just notice how it feels as you start moving your body. Just take your time. So what we did now was you know, starting by connecting with the sensation of the out-breath, some sensations in the body. <clears throat> I personally prefer to connect with the out-breath rather than the whole cycle of the breath mm. because the out-breath is connected with the parasympathetic response, which is the rest and digest. So we are communicating messages of safety to the brain. Mm. Why to communicate messages of safety to the brain? Because we are starting from the understanding that chronic pain is caused by the primitive brain being in a, um, a situation, in a, you know, in a perception of mm -hmm. danger. So the more we manage to actually communicate messages of safety mm -hmm. rather than of danger to the brain, the more we get out from this pattern. So this is a very important practice to do regardless, even if we are not in pain. Yeah, and it would be lovely for, because <clears throat> I, that was only for a couple of minutes and I feel mm -hmm. like I've just had a sleep. So mm -hmm. it would be good for people who struggle to sleep and then stress because they're not sleeping and yeah, then definitely. you know what I mean <laughs> yes, yes yeah that would yes. be quite nice I have actually used this to yeah. help people sleep because yeah. even when you're lying down closing your eyes like extending that exhale mm -hmm. 
your body is getting some form of rest even exactly. if it's not full on sleep but remember that what we are doing is all without pressure the yeah. minute we put pressure oh i have to extend the out breath i have to do it super well <laughs> that's when you are communicating messages of danger to yeah. the primitive brain so yeah. it's all about effortless and ease great no pressure no judgment perfect thank you so much thank you carla thank you